0: Hello, learners, and welcome to Learn On Podcast, the science show by kids for kids. I'm your host, John C., and I'm here today with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: I'm David Myers. I'm a professor of psychology at a place called Hope, Hope College in Michigan.
0: That's awesome. And we know that you have a lot of incredible projects, but maybe could you tell us a little bit about what research you've done in psychology before and what your work centers around?
1: So I am a social psychologist, and after getting my PhD at the University of Iowa, I did research supported by the National Science Foundation on the effects of small group discussion on people's attitudes. That research, which I did over about 15 years, led to some invitations to write and communicate psychological science to the wider public. And so that's been my main vocation for the rest of my career as I authored textbooks for introductory psychology for social psychology, and also other books and essays, all of which can be accessed at my website, which is just my name, David Myers, spelled M-Y-E-R-S dot org.
0: That's awesome. And yes, we will definitely link all of your information for our viewers to see, too, if they're interested. And so today we're going to be specifically focusing on group polarization. So would you like to first explain to us what is group polarization or the risky shift phenomenon?
1: Sure. So a little bit of history. Back in 1961, some 60 years ago, a graduate student at MIT named James Stoner set out as a master's thesis project to study the effects of group discussion on risk taking. He had the idea that he wanted to test that groups tend to be more conservative more stodgy if you will than innovative creative individuals and to test that he took a familiar uh, measure of risk taking which involves some story problems let me give you one which i created for use in my own research so this concerns if you can imagine yourself responding to this this a writer we'll call her helen who has been making a decent living writing cheap Westerns, but she's come up with the idea for a potentially significant novel, which if she undertakes, if it succeeds, it would be a great contribution and boost to her career, but it could fail, in which case she'd lose the income she's had from writing these cheaper books. So the question is, what odds of success of this potentially significant novel would you recommend before advising her to attempt it? And then the scale ranges from a one in ten odds of success she should do it two and ten three and ten all the way up to don't do it unless the chances are ten and ten and what stoner found is that when he compared the advice given before discussion to the group decision after discussion in small groups of four or five or six people the people were actually riskier in their advice they were bolder if you will in the advice they were giving after discussion than before and that phenomenon came to be called the risky shift phenomenon that is the idea that groups they are more likely to take risk and advise more risk than do individuals rather than the reverse which is what was thought to be true now that was the first stage of this research if you'd like I can explain How this led to this other phenomenon group polarization which i know you're interested in talking about today
0: definitely that would be great to hear about too
1: so what i and others did is ask is this true of all all these items i found some other items where people are initially cautious by the way i should say in the case of the example i just gave people tend to advise this person to attempt it and i'm guessing many of our listeners would advise that as well Maybe if the chances were only, let's say four in 10, go for it. And after discussion, the average person will say, go for it, even if the chances are just three in 10. And by the way, this makes a very reliable class demonstration, which I've used many, many times. It always works. But what if we have another case example where people initially are fairly cautious? There people say, don't do it unless the chances are like seven in 10 you'll succeed and after discussion they're even more cautious they say don't do it unless the chances are eight in 10. so whoa what we're seeing is where people are initially inclined to be to advise risk they're even greater risk takers after discussion where they're initially inclined to be cautious they're inclined to be even more cautious after group discussion so maybe what we have here is not a phenomenon of increased risk taking but rather a, a phenomenon of what we came to call group polarization. That is a tendency for small group discussion among like minded people to strengthen their pre existing ideas or inclinations. That's what group polarization is, and that's what we've explored in, and we and others, I should say, in a lot of experiments.
0: That is really interesting. And I think this is a great example of how scientific inquiry can be really helpful for discovering new things, especially with that first experiment, how it was opposite of what that scientist had predicted, and now how we built onto that theory to understand it even more. And according to your research, attempts to explain the phenomenon fall mostly in one of three theoretical approaches, group decision rules, interpersonal comparisons, and informational influence. So can you explain what these theories mean and how much each one is supported?
1: Well, so maybe we are just dealing with a phenomenon of majority rule, but it turns out that that's really not an explanation because the phenomenon occurs, group polarization occurs, not only when you require a group to reach a joint decision after discussion, it also occurs if you give people, let's say in the case of Helen, the writer that I described, three minutes to discuss the case, And then after discussing it to indicate what they're now thinking individually. And so if you just compare their average individual response from before to after the discussion without any majority rule or group decision, you still get group polarization. So that pointed us to two other explanations. One, which is which is really an important factor, is what we could call informational influence. It's a sharing of information. So you may have a, a reason why you think Helen should attempt to write the novel because maybe you think ultimately uh, she might make more money and have a larger audience, or maybe somebody else thinks they should that Helen should attempt the novel because she'll never know what her literary potential is unless she pushes the envelope and another person might have a different reason. When you sit down together in the group, you pull your arguments and when those arguments are shared you end up with all the more rationale for why she should attempt that and thus you end up with a stronger opinion than you had beforehand so that's an information sharing pooling of information that helps explain the phenomenon and indeed if even without group discussion you you convey that information to people that will have the same effect on their attitudes there is one other phenomenon which is a, a social comparison explanation think of it this way you go into the group and you think, well, I think Helen should write that novel, you know, and I think I'm probably going to be one of the people out there really recommending that. I'm going to say, even if the chances are only four in 10 or five in 10, she should do it. And you're surprised when you get in the group to find that other people think that way too. And some of them think that, you know, are even willing to give it a three in 10. And you thought, whoa, I thought I was a risk taker here in this case. I compare myself to others' positions, and I realize if I'm gonna keep up that identity as a risk advocate in this situation, I need to shift a little farther out. And so what we find is that even without any sharing of information, if you just expose people to others' positions, that has some small group polarization effect. So it looks like these two factors, mostly the information sharing, but secondly, the comparison of physicians and then people adjusting their own to sustain their identities as, as pro this or pro that are explanations for the phenomenon.
0: That's very interesting. And I have to say, before I read about your research, I was kind of aware about how like information may influence people's decisions when we're thinking as a group, as I've experienced a lot of times myself but I definitely had not thought about the interpersonal comparison and having to maybe change your position to maintain that same sort of opinion in the comparison of others. So that is certainly very interesting and I'm really glad that we could discuss that. Thank you. And so my next question, is about the people in this group. So I think you mentioned earlier that we've tested this phenomenon with many different groups of people, but how does the general balance of opinion affect group polarization? So is it more likely to occur in a group with very similar or very different opinions?
1: That's a great question. And empirically, I mean, we would be asking if there's more variation within the group, is there more shift than if you have a more homogeneous group to start with? I'd say I am not sure we have a completely clear answer to that question, but one thing is clear. And that is that even without a forced group consensus, people tend to converge. So whatever is the disparity in views in the group before the discussion, after discussion, there's less variation among group members, less statistical variance, if you will. So that's, that's a kind of companion phenomenon here. What's intriguing is that the point towards which the group members converge in their opinions tends to be not their initial average, but a position more extreme than their initial average. And that's group polarization. So that's about as much as I can say in answering that question. You need some diversity helps stimulate discussion because if everybody's four and 10 initially, then they may just settle on that without really exploring the issue. So a bit of diversity helps move the group, I suspect.
0: All right. That's very interesting. And so to dive deeper into our understanding of this phenomenon, what kind of experiments have been conducted to better explain group polarization? I know you mentioned a few before, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd say two basic kinds of experiments. One is where we compare the effects of group discussion when initial attitudes differ. And here I gave you the case of Helen the writer versus the person thinking about selling the family life insurance on a hot stock tip. So we compare an item where people are initially leaning one way versus another item where people are leaning the other. And we can do that not just with risk-taking items, but with other attitude measures about any, any topic about which people have social attitudes. And what we repeatedly find is that the initial tendency and risk taking in attitudes and you name it tends to be strengthened by the group conversation among people who tend to share the same general views to begin with so that would be one kind of experiment then the other kind of experiment is where we actually identify people's views beforehand and then group them with like-minded others so in my best-known experiment that was published in science magazine we gave a racial attitude inventory to a large sample of high school students. And, I, and then on the basis of this inventory, we're able to identify the relatively high prejudiced, medium prejudiced, and low prejudice students. And then we went back to them a couple of weeks later and in their classrooms, we were able to group the high prejudice people in small groups of four or five with other high prejudice students and the students who were low in express racial prejudice with other low prejudice students and we gave them some racial attitude items to discuss like should a business owner I mean I'm trying to think they raised issues like the right to sell your house to whomever you wanted versus open housing laws that protected that were that that enforced non-discrimination and so I mean these were down-to-earth practical everyday issues sure enough the low-prejudice people expressed less prejudice. They were more egalitarian in their attitudes beforehand than were the high-prejudice students. But what was really interesting is that after discussing these cases, and these were like case studies, the low-prejudice students were even more egalitarian in their attitudes and the high priority students were even less so so the gap the attitude gap between them that existed before the discussion was accentuated or polarized if you will after the discussion and so we can again two two basic methods one is comparing items where most people lean one way or the other way and the other second method was composing groups of people who tend to feel one way or the other way and seeing if those group differences are magnified by discussion, and they are.
0: Definitely, this is very interesting information, and I think it's really cool to see how phenomenons like group polarization can be applied in real life, such as those debates regarding racial attitudes And we can definitely talk about that more later too. And also I'm just adding this on because I'm curious, you had mentioned that you waited a couple weeks between initially gathering the attitudes of these high schoolers and then going back and having them discuss these various topics. And so I'm just wondering, was there any particular reason for that? Why that timeframe was chosen?
1: Yeah, the reason was simple that we needed to take their questionnaires from the first administration and score them and categorize them before going back to the class. So we couldn't do it all the same day. So there had to be an interval of time.
0: Cool, good to know. And this kind of perfectly segues into my next question. How exactly do we collect, quantify, and analyze the data for these kinds of experiments?
1: So it's really simple, and that's why it can be done as a classroom demonstration. Let's go back to my prototypical case of Helen the writer. Uh, What I would do in a classroom demonstration is hand out the questionnaire to individuals, have everybody complete the questionnaire, that and maybe, you know, some other items as well. And then I would randomly compose them into small groups, like number people off one, two, three, four, five around, uh, let's say, a class with 25 students. And then we'd have five groups of five. And bring them together give them fresh copies of the questionnaire have them discuss it and then again after three or four minutes of discussion on each item to mark what they're now thinking and then to collect the questionnaires and then just to compare the average response to each item before and after discussion that would be a very simple kind of way of of computing group polarization or or you could have people you could, in a sense, force them to be like a jury and discuss it until they have a consensus. We've done that in some of our experiments too, and others have as well. And Then you compare the group decision to the average of the individual's prior pre-discussion decisions.
0: Right, and then for when you're discussing about racial attitudes, did you do something similar with having them come up with a final decision as a group, or how is that?
1: Yeah, I, I tended in most of my experiments later on not to try to force a consensus which sometimes puts students in an awkward position I mean did you just have to agree to something you didn't agree to to get the experiment yeah. over with I mean I want a genuine discussion but I didn't want to impinge on people's freedom so for the most part we were studying the effects of group discussion rather than the effects of group decision making although they're related phenomena
0: interesting Now that we've understood, kind of gotten an overview of what group polarization is and your experiments and others regarding this, let's go further into how this can be applied into our everyday lives. So how can group polarization possibly be dangerous by inflating the most extreme opinions in a set of people? And also can it be beneficial in any way when we are trying to come up with a decision as a group?
1: sure this can be beneficial so I mean self-help groups are people who share a common desire to oh lose weight or deal with their anxiety or I mean whatever is that it brings you know control their substance use that brings people together to support one another and to amplify and strengthen their shared attitudes and their shared tendencies and their shared wishes that's group polarization for a positive purpose you know people who are social justice campaigners may in faith communities or in local groups you know come together to support each other in their shared aspirations compassion and helping anything positive can be strengthened by people of like mind coming together to share that tendency but as you imply it could go the other way too so how does where does bigotry and expressed hatred come from? It comes when people who have some antipathy, some dislike of another group get together with others and they feed off each other. I mean, like hot coals together, like minds fuel each other. And that can lead to some terrible outcomes. The police brutality that killed Tyree Nichols recently was not done by a lone officer. It was done by a group that was feeding off each other. That was the case with the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Gang violence is not done by lone individuals. It's done by people who come together and egg one another on and feed off one another. And that's true also of studies of terrorism. Terrorist acts are almost never done by lone wolves, they are social phenomena. So people who have some animosity against those of another. I don't know, religion or nation or ethnic group or whatever come together with others who share their views. They may cut off their contacts with people who don't think like they do. They feed off each other over time and they become more and more extreme with time. So that's group polarization working in a diabolical direction to sometimes lead to great evil.
0: Wow. Yeah. I think these are really interesting examples. I'm so glad you brought this up. Like I had never thought of the self-help groups before as groups that could be affected by group polarization, but it does make sense that people would have different opinions and experiences that are being shared. And then also with a lot of these terrible events that we've seen in the media in recent times and how group polarization can be behind that. And I think it's really interesting how we can use research to better understand how our opinions interact with each other on ethical legal dilemmas, race, and other concepts.
1: Absolutely, Yeah. well said.
0: Thank you. And so now that we've heard a lot of these different examples, I'm wondering how can group polarization specifically impact functions like decision-making in teens and young adults at an impressionable age?
1: Well, first of all, Group polarization in ways I never anticipated when doing this research has been put on steroids since that initial research, thanks to the internet and thanks to the advent of cable television. I said James Stoner did this initially. This initial research was done back in the 1960s. Back then, there was no internet there were three major television networks that gave the same news story basically to all Americans so we we shared common informational influence if you will common information coming into us all now we have a surfeit of television channels and depending on your initial views you can seek out views that that support what you already believe and protect you from information that challenges what you already believe that's much easier to do now And on the internet, we can, through various social media channels that we're engaged in, and now we're talking about teens and young adults, and older adults for that matter, we tend to find our tribe. We tend to connect with people who think like we do. And so this group discussion phenomenon doesn't have to involve five people sitting around a table face-to-face. It can also involve chat rooms and talk back and forth with like-minded friends and so it's just so much easier to to seek out to find to isolate ourselves with others of like mind and then to reinforce one another and 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 thus for societal polarization to grow and it has So back in 92, only 38 percent of counties in the United States were landslide counties where more than 60 percent of people voted for one candidate or the other for, let's say, a Republican or a Democratic candidate. Now, 60 percent of counties in the United States are landslide counties. And whereas, oh, 15 years or so ago. Only about 20% of Democrats said they hated Republicans and vice versa for Republicans hating Democrats. Now that number is about 50%. So we're much more likely to to think that people of the opposite political persuasion are evil. We really don't like them. Uh, We wouldn't want our children to marry one. We're a more polarized country because modern technology has facilitated are forming tribes, are isolating ourselves with like minds, and then polarizing as we do so.
0: You know, I'm so glad you brought up the election. It's something that people at my school have also been discussing recently regarding how we can just seek out similar opinions, and I guess considering the internet as a huge source of informational influence, and especially with social media becoming more and more prominent. I have seen this myself too, but I never labeled it in my mind as group polarization, just a phenomenon that I was used to seeing. And so I think it's really great that we are able to perform this research in psychology to better understand and be more aware of the way that we interact with each other.
1: Thank you. And maybe one bit of practical advice for us all is we need sometimes to push ourselves to expose ourselves to people and and to read things that challenge what we already believe rather than that support what we already believe, To, to listen to others deeply who don't think like we do. And we don't have to agree with them, but let's push ourselves, let's nudge ourselves to understand them, to be able to give voice to their views empathically. And so that would be maybe a bit of practical advice for us all coming out of this group polarization research.
0: Absolutely. And like you mentioned with the landslide counties, I feel like recently it's so much easier to get caught up in the same exact like political or moral beliefs as the people that you are around, that you surround yourself with. And while that may not necessarily be a bad thing, it certainly can be beneficial for us to also try to understand and empathize with other views, even if we don't necessarily agree with them or understand them at first.
1: Absolutely. Well said, C.
0: Thank you. And so for my final question, what areas of group polarization have we yet to properly understand? And where can scientific inquiry and research take us forward in understanding this phenomenon even more?
1: I would say just to amplify what we've just been talking about, I think there are two great challenges for humanity going forward. One is climate sustainability. I don't need to say more about that. But to me, just as big an issue is the reality of polarization in our culture, enabled by what we've just been talking about, how easy it is to isolate ourselves within tribes, talking with like minds and not exposing us to people who think differently. So how do we deal with that? Is there an answer? I mean, are there technologies that can engage us with others? Is there a way to cultivate a spirit of humility. For me, as a person of faith, I'm a theist. If you're a theist, no matter what your faith tradition, you believe two things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, it's not you. It's not me. We're finite creatures. We have dignity, but not deity. And so the surest thing we can believe is that some of what we believe is in error. And that's the reason why we do science, why we seek to to expand our minds by exposing them to Other views into evidence and so that's a whole kind of life philosophy and outlook of faith-based humility if you will that can that can be an antidote to the group polarization that's enabled by today's technology so i'll leave you with that
0: awesome yeah i definitely agree with you and you know i'm so glad that we were able to sit down and talk today because While I've read a lot of your research before and explored this recently, it's definitely been eye-opening to speak with you as well directly about your research. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I admire what you're doing on your Kids for Kids podcast.